We're going to spend some time in Micah, book of Micah, chapter 4, if you want to turn there. There's a lot that, you know, can be said and needs to be said. And uh, I love that song. It's a reminder and such a hope giver to us that, um, you know, if, if you, when we look at these big, these big, huge situations in our world and it's easy to feel like it's, it's just overwhelming, you know, and like what... What, what can I do? Um, the starting point is the gospel. You know, It's the fact that, that Jesus has changed you. He has taken you from, from being uh, someone who, uh, who thinks and operates and feels and all that kind of stuff. He's taken you out of the kingdom of the world and he's literally like made you a completely new person. He has brought you from being dead to being alive. And when so, he has already set you up for success in regard to this. Like we we can be, we can be the kind of people that uh, that do not let these 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 um, differences among us. You know these these different descriptions and these different things about us all. We can be the kind of people who celebrate those things, and and we find that Christ is is all and in all. And all of those different, you know, things about us, um, and so we are able to find that unity within the the diversity of our world because we are now alive, and we're alive with that life of of Him, and so the life of the Trinity lives within us. And so, as I said earlier, who who knows better how to have unity and distinction at the same time than God Himself? And so we're we're made in His image, and now His that life, that Zoe life, lives within us. And so um, we have been completely set up to walk in this reality. And uh, Micah, you know, Micah chapter four has some really really strong stuff in it, as as we'll see here in a second. And the you know one of the things when you're when you're looking at at the Old Testament sometimes, and you're trying to think, okay, was well, this for them? Or is this for like uh, when Jesus comes back type stuff? Or is this like I, I you know we don't want to misapply it? And uh, one of the things about these these prophetic passages, as we'll see in a second, is that um, like a passage like this, when you handle it correctly, he's describing he's describing the future, um, but he's also describing the present. And so everything we're about to read, this is, like we can we can live this way. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who's called us to His own glory and excellence, which is explained right here. And so uh, in Micah, and you find the same thing in, in Isaiah 10, uh, you find this this description of this world, and you read it, and you're like, I, I want to live in that world. And God's like, yeah, I made you to live in this world. That's why you want to live in that world. And and so we are we're bringing this near. And so I'm not reading about something that's like, well, guys, one day everything's going to be okay. This can be two day. Like it's guaranteed that it will be one day, but this can also be this day. Let me let me just read it straight straight through, and then we'll go a little bit at a time. Um, it says it shall come to pass in the in the latter days. Okay, let me just stop right there. I know I said I was going to keep going. In the latter days, so for for them at this time, they're talking they're talking about the future, and it's talking about the the messianic age, and so what what 
if you were to take a timeline and to build it out of the New Testament, you're talking about the time from from Easter weekend, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, that brought this messianic age into into existence. And so if you're on this side of the cross, it's talking about like what he has made possible. And so when he says the latter days, he's not talking about the end times. You know, he's not talking about you know all that all that stuff. He's talking about where where we live right now. Those who are on this side of, of Easter weekend and Pentecost, spirit filled believers, you and I. So now this time I won't stop. Okay, um, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills and the people shall flow to it and many nations shall come and say come let us go up the mountain of the lord to the house of the god of jacob that he may teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths for out of zion shall go forth the law and the word of the lord from jerusalem he shall judge between many people and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts is spoken. For all the people walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now, lots of symbolism and things in there, but when you go slowly through it, uh, I think it's I think it applies so much to what we're going on. So let's, let's look at verse one again. It shall come to pass in the latter days, so right now, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. So um, it was in in this day uh, you had uh, you had a lot of idol worship that would happen on the tops of these hills, and so you could go through through and you could see like statues and things on these little hilltops, and so that's part of what he's saying is that is talking about like God being the highest of these of these mountains. He's also talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the highest uh, point in Israel. And uh, Jerusalem is where God lives. And so there's this imagery of you have all these little hills with these little false gods on top. And yet Jerusalem is, is the mountain of God. Like that is the, that is the high point. And there is coming a, like we're in the age where he is proving that all of those idols are false and empty and dead. And that he is the one true God. Now, there's a lot of discrepancy, obviously, in our world right now. Not everyone sees this, but, but we see it. And every day, more and more people see it. And we're in an age where God is slowly proving himself to be the one true God and for everything else to fall apart. All our gods of money and possessions and status and all of the divisions between us because of ethnicity and because of socioeconomic classes and, and all, the, all of the different fracture points, we're all seeing, like, man, everything's broken. Everything around us is broken. And God, God it continues to emerge as, as the, one, the one true source of life and goodness. And we are in that age where that is happening. And so it says that, that as this is happening, uh, people will flow to it. Now you think about where a river doesn't, water doesn't go uphill, it goes downhill. 
but he's talking about the people flowing like a river up up to the Lord. Um, and so uh, this is this is basically painting a picture of uh, here's God's activity and God's place, and there are people that are traveling to it. And look at verse two: Who are these people? And many nations shall come. Who are the people flowing to the Lord? Many nations. Um, And they're going to say this. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So he's saying, so what's going to happen over, over the course of time is people are going to, they're going to want the Lord. They're going to desire to know to know the way to live they're they're going to they're going to start to realize the brokenness and emptiness of everything else and they're going to want him more and more um and so this this incredible like flowing up the mountain of god is for many nations this is a theme throughout the scriptures um it uh we we see it everywhere let me read you revelation 7 9 through 10 so this is looking further further down the timeline. It says that after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with 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 palm branches in their hands uh, and uh, crying crying with a loud voice this is what they said salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, that there's this this day coming where uh, everybody's there and they're in white robes, and that just kills me every time. I'm like, man. Uh, so there's this there's that unity, you know? And yet, somehow he's able to look and see that's all the different nations. And so it's like, uh, both of those things are existing. The, the Christ is, is all and is, and is in all, and yet the nations are represented, and here's this picture of heaven, uh, and we see this uh, throughout throughout the Bible. It's it's it starts with the image of God, like that being a foundational thing that we have to understand. That just like just like a child is made in the image of their of their mom and their dad, like that's a, that is what it means to bear someone's image. That you and I and every person on the whole planet is a son or a daughter. Of God as is an image bearer of, of Him, and so it starts with that, and we see it within the Trinity that unity and distinction that I've been talking about. We see God's promise to Abraham, saying that the nations will be blessed through Him, uh, not just the Jewish nation and not you know America or anything like that. All the nations will be blessed through Him. Um, Jesus comes and opens up the kingdom. Um, we see it w- in what happens Easter weekend and what happens at Pentecost when the Spirit comes and sends everyone out, worshiping in all these languages. And the mission of God is declared all throughout the Old Testament. From, from start to finish, the entire Bible is pointing to the nations. Everyone. And yet, it's so easy to forget that sometimes. You know, It's so easy to... Or uh, to either forget it or to kind of just be like, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, like that's, that's a fact. I'll check that box. I believe that. But that is a, that's a, a massively important thing whenever we're talking about racial reconciliation, especially between uh, like 
white America and black America because of, because of our history. And so I'm not trying to exclude any other ethnicity, but this is the, that's the big point of tension right now. And the thing that needs to be addressed is, is that, is that one. Um, and so here we are, we have this Bible that's pointing to the, the nations. It's pointing to a, a, all of us robed in white with all of our different ethnicities and all that stuff, declaring the goodness of God. Um, and yet we live in such uh, such a fractured world. And so um, I'm going to throw a question to these guys. It's, it's, these are just brutal questions. I'm just I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but... Uh, the question is, why do you why do you think it's so easy to forget that the gospel's for everybody, um, and not just people who look like you and think like you and act like you, and uh, all that stuff? So, what what contributes to the forgetfulness uh, of this this whole subject? Who's going first? I'll go first. Uh, so I, I'm like a history buff. I've always enjoyed history, and so I kind of relate to the the nation's part of those verses. And I just think about when 9/11 happened. I think is the, the closest I can think to where another culture clashed with our culture, or you know World War II, where they had the Japanese and us, or the Germans. And just you look at the actions of a few individuals, and you you where did they get that from? Oh, it's over there. It's different than me. I'm not immersed in that culture. I don't know anybody in that culture. And so, you, you know, and then that just snowballs. And before you know it, you have all these walls built up. And so what helps me to, to fight against that is just continuing to refine my identity. You know, who, what is my identity? It's not in being an American. It's not in being this or that. And so whenever you, you know, I... It's just it's just like a constant grind, really, that everyone is brought up in one way or another with an identity that is not Christ, yeah. and so you have to strip that down. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and it's it it's so hard to do in this conversation because, uh, like, within the black community, and I like from from like listening and dialogue and reading and stuff like that, they're like, yeah, y'all, like the white community is never hasn't really gone through life being defined by their whiteness, you know? So it's easy for us to be like, no, just, just shake that off. It's not about that. It's about this. But f- for the black community in America, they have been like, that's, that's become ingrained in them as like a, as a identifying thing to the point where it, it that whole conversation is, it's difficult to have. So like a hundred percent agree. Like that's the foundational thing. I think for me, the difficulty is like, well, how do you, how do you overcome those some of those historical things that are like these like massively deeply ingrained things in so many people? Um, that's the it's I don't know that that, well, that like, for me is, is a part of the part of the debate you know part of the struggle is um, is how do you get to that core identity in Christ? But I completely agree with you. I think that it starts with me. Am I finding my identity in the right place? Well, yeah. So it's like how do you, you have that that internal struggle? And then the next step is to, like we were just singing, we must go. Like, you have to go to inside your own culture and have those conversations. And so it's like, how do you have that conversation? I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to someone to feel judged or for me to feel judged. And that's the step that often, it's just, I just assume people feel the same as I do. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky. And I think it's, it's so healthy that, you know, to have those conversations. 
conversations. And I think just the fact to make an effort, you know, and to be open to God leading us down a path of righteousness that, you know, engages some of these things, I think is really important. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree like with what Brady is saying, like we're fed so many narratives, like from the world, from the media, from our families, from all kinds of different places. And we got to be really careful, like what's informing us because those things will like, uh, tend to lead us to like seeing, seeing people and sharing the gospel with them, if that makes sense. Like, not to have tunnel vision and just focus on like our own little and that's that's what happens a lot of times even for me is like I get so focused on even just putting my head down and get through a day or putting my head down and like just I've got to make this my life and do these things instead of like what Jesus always did is he looked up you know he looked for the people that were in front of him to like serve them and to care for them and so I think two things come to mind is like what is informing me what are the narratives what are the things that are informing me and my is it like um, racism from my, my past and my family and or is it like is it the gospel is that informing me so that I want to take it and then uh, just not having tunnel vision you know like and sometimes that tunnel vision is not wanting to look at the pain not wanting to like read about it or look at it because it's so hard to deal with internally you know and so I think a lot of times like those are things that sometimes could keep me or keep us from like really wanting to go into like realize this is this is for like this is for all people you know and so those are things that i don't know if that all makes sense but like to to be careful of at mm-hmm. least for me that i think yeah. about yeah. um i was I agree completely with what you two have said the idea of being just inwardly focused i've been thinking a lot lately about the difference between like being selfish and self-centered or being self-focused, um, like the motive in there is different. And I think, um, you know, you've taught in the past about how, like often the more comfortable we are, the less aware we are of what's going on around us. And I think um, for me personally, I see um, when I'm not comfortable, I'm maybe more community-minded. Um, But if I get really comfortable in my life, then I'm just always looking at myself and what I enjoy and what I need to do, or like you're saying, just getting through the day, getting my tasks done. And so I think, you know, if you look at it from a sociological standpoint, like as a country, even when you have money, you're more comfortable. When everything's going easy, you're more comfortable. So you're just kind of looking at your own life. And then when there's a shared suffering going on, maybe we are looking out more to the interests of others because everyone's suffering through something together. Mm-hmm. So if I'm comfortable and other people are suffering, it's easier for me to just kind of stay in my own little pocket instead of taking my head up and looking and seeing the suffering. And then, like you said, you have to be willing to step into the suffering mm-hmm. and leave your own comfort. And I think those things are hard to do. It's not impossible by any means, but it takes mm-hmm. a lot of effort and motivation of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, I think that 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 song, so that, the whole song lyric of like um, about us having to go. The one that always kills me is "Keep us from just singing." Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And it, with, but it's so easy, right? We get in our churches. We're gonna, we're going to sing this. We're going to do this, and then as soon as we say that, you know, we say the priestly blessing or whatever, whatever benediction there is, um, it's easy to then then you shift back into the other gear, you know, and. So I think some of it is is that like if we're forgetful of something, well then we what do we do? We remind ourselves, you know. And 
um, there has to be there has to be a, a way for this to not get away from us. Um, but at the same time, like uh, a lot of you guys know, uh, Brother Bob Butler, uh, him he and Gloria moved to Houston. Hey, hey, Butlers, <laughs> I think I think you might be watching. I talked to him not too long ago, and I remember when we first like merged together and stuff, and we would try to talk to Brother Bob. We say, you know, you're you, you're African American from Baton Rouge, been pastoring for all these years. Can we, can we talk about racial reconciliation? And he would say he would always say something to the effect like we could we could talk about it, but it's really it's just about the gospel. So people people got to get saved first, and once they're once they're saved, then, then we can work with that. Until people are saved, we're, it's it's hard to work. You know, you really you know. And it was always so like, oh, you're you're right. Like this is a it's it's, it's first about the gospel being for everyone, and then and then where we go from there. And so a part of what we're a uh, part of what this is 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 um, us being like, okay, well, the gospel has come to us. And so racial reconciliation is the, it is the job of the Christian, really. You know, like the, it, it, is the, it is the task of the church to be the leader in this whole conversation because we are the ones who have crossed from death into life by the grace of Jesus. We are the ones who, we, we know where this is coming from. We know where this started. We, we have a God who is able to guide us down the path of righteousness, one one step at a time. We have the only the only being in the universe who knows what to do next, and so this is this is ours. This is ours to own. And as as uh, and, and every, everybody's role is different. Your different ethnicities play a different role in this whole thing moving forward. And so so much of this it comes down to to I, I have to person this uh, personally in this conversation I have to like reduce it down to. Well, I'm, I'm one person, and I but I can make a difference in, like I, I can do things that can make an impact. You know, uh, it's not my job to change the whole world. It's just my job to be obedient. That whatever God's next obedient step is f- for me, I have to take it. And um, and so that forgetfulness is is helped by being us being reminded of of the nations. And a part of that is being immersed in cultures that are different than ours is. It is like paying attention to those things and, and letting, letting God bring those reminders to us in all these different ways. And so, um, so, so the nations are going to flow to the Lord and that, that is a, like that is the church leads in that process. The, The church, we are the ones that are, that are boots on the ground, fanning that into flame um, pushing people up, up, up the mountain, so to speak. So you look at verse three. It says he shall judge between many people, and shall decide the, for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not, shall not lift up sword against nation; neither shall they learn war anymore. Okay, so. Um, in the, in this in this kingdom of of God, he's he's handling he's handling everything. He's he shall judge between the people. He's going to decide all these things. He's he's in charge. And so there's so much of a fight for power and control and all that stuff in, in our world. And so we're like, no, we're like we have someone who's in charge of everything. It's it's fine. Um, and so because of that, there's no longer a need in their world to be swords and, and spears. They're like, yeah, well, you know, well, yeah, we used to need swords and spears when we used to fight each other all the time, but now, now we don't have a need for them anymore. They're just taking up space in the shed, you know. So, what do we do? Well, let's let's 
like melt them down or let's pound them into gardening tools because uh, swords and and spears are instruments of death. Garden tools are instruments of life. And so <clears throat> it's, it is this whole shift to where we don't... We, we don't need that stuff anymore. There's a <clears throat> there's an artist, <clears throat> excuse me, named Pedro Reyes, and he he partnered with a local government in Mexico uh, whenever they were doing one of those like gun buyback programs, and uh, he got all the guns and they melted them down and he made them into like sixty shovels. And it's like a it's an art installment. It's all these shovels along the wall that are made from these guns, like a literal like doing of this. And um, there's another nonprofit I came across in 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 the United States who does the same thing, um, <clears throat> and so this like literal, like we literally don't need guns anymore for that, you know, and not in a like don't take my guns kind of way, but in like a like we just don't we don't need them because we're not at war anymore. They 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 have no no purpose. What we do need is we need to till the garden, you know, that kind of thing, and so here. Like God is creating that world, and that seems so daunting because it's like that's a global that's a global thing. Like yeah, um, but it, again, it it just starts in our little our little world, like our own little kingdom. So me me and my little kingdom can be a place where I don't need a sword or a spear or a gun because I'm not out. I'm not I'm not here. I have no need for violence anymore. God is taking care of me. I, what I do need to do is till the earth. You know, I need to plant the seeds, and there needs to be a fruitfulness in my life. Um, and so, the, all, all of that reality, like it's 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 a beautiful thing. But I want to focus in on that last phrase real quick: uh, "Nation shall not lift up sword against nation." And then it says, "Neither shall they learn war anymore." And I got so hung up on that the idea of learning war that. Uh, when you think about it, like war, war is taught. It's taught, and typically from adults to kids. And we've we've seen in in recent years, like these uh, child soldiers being taken advantage of, uh, particularly in parts of Africa, but you see it in other parts of the world as well, um, where they're they're being taught to handle these guns and they're being taught to 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 kill and to murder. If, if you drag that idea of learning war into this conversation about race, um, we, we're taught to hate and we're taught to hurt people. Um, it's something that we have learned and that is, that has been a generational thing that has been passed down and some of it has been explicitly passed down and then some of it has been implicitly passed down, but we, we learn that we, we aren't inherently like we don't just inherently like hate people and try to hurt them. Um, and so that whole thing where we're taught to hate and hurt people, we're also taught to love people and to bless them. Like we're, we're, so we're always learning. And a part of what's difficult about this, this subject is that we we're not, we're not that far removed from the civil rights movement. And some of the, like it's not, hasn't been that long. And so uh, the generations ahead of all of us have had had to encounter this whole subject on different levels with different you know different formats, but it's been something that has been learned and taught and passed on. And but we're also learning to love and to bless people, and and so it's like the kind of this really like interesting conversation. And if you look over the course of your life, most of us, especially as we walk with the Lord, have have learned 
have learned to hate people, and that's a pretty strong word, but you know what I'm saying. To hate people, certain kinds of people, certain, you know, whatever it may be. To hate less and to love more. You know, there's a, there's a transition that happens when you're, when you're, when you're walking with Christ. Um, and God uses all kinds of different things to, to help us to unlearn war and to learn peace, you know. And so I want to ask the, the group when you, because I, th- I think it's, a, I think examples are really helpful with this of like how, what is God put bringing into my life to teach me, like to, to purge the hate out of me and to build the love in, in me. So what are some of the things that God has used in, in, in our lives to, um, to help us unlearn war and to learn peace and love and, and those kinds of things? Yeah. When I, when I think about that, um, I think kind of what I said similar to like having tunnel vision and um, I think there's a lot of people obviously that are different than me, you know, whether it's skin color or uh, what they choose to do with a career, whatever it might be. And I can have a lot of opinions about what they do, but it's not until like sit across the table from them and hear their story, like befriend them and know what they've been through and what they've walked through and their struggles. And not only that, but to be like, hey, I'm, I want to learn. I want to learn from you, and which should lead me to a place of repentance, yeah. and to have a heart of repentance for um, maybe the racism that's inside of me. I didn't realize, mm-hmm. you know. And the more that I'm willing to say, "Lord, search my heart," the more that I'm willing to say, "I want to be totally consecrated to you, Lord." What is it that you need to take out of my life or add to my life so that I can look like Christ? Um, that is what's always ha- helped me, like is just getting in those relationships and being kind of boots on the ground. The other thing is is having kids mm-hmm. and realizing that like I'm passing down a narrative to them of some kind. Either I it's a unspoken or it's a spoken. And uh, if we don't tell them, uh, it's like if you know me and I talk about parenting, I always talk about uh, Psalm 78 where it says, um, and they will not forget the works of God, but they'll keep his commandments. Um, and they will pass it down to the next generation. You know, that idea that I, I as a parent, as a father, need to be like passing down this narrative of who Christ is and how he sees everyone the same, equal, because of, his, because of what he's done for us. You know, and so uh, those things have helped me, like, understand, I guess, understand the world better and see through the lens of the Lord, you know. That's good. Thanks for that. Um, I think God uses His Word a lot too. To um, well, obviously, <laughs> um, and one like this, I have so many verses underlined when it comes to um, love and not counting yourself more important than others and stuff like that. And so, one thing that I've realized about the fruit of the Spirit is um, how it starts with love and. It ends with, like, self-control. Sorry, this has been an emotional service for me. (laughs) Um, But, like, love is the root of all of that, and we need self-control in order to use the fruit of the Spirit daily. And so, like, later on in Galatians, after it lists the fruit of the Spirit, it says we live by the Spirit. Can't read let us also walk with the Spirit and not become conceited, provoking one another, 
And so just some of the verses that always, that I always return to is um, like Romans 12. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And then down lower it says to outdo one another in showing honor. Like, I mean, just need to stop here. <laughs> um, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor in Corinthians. And I mean, it just goes on. There's just so much meat in here about truly using the fruit of the spirit that we have and loving one another. It's through love that all of this can be accomplished. So, yeah, it's almost like it's been around for a really long time. And, (laughs) you know, like the, but yet the, the same things, the same things they needed then we need now, you know, it's a, it's a transformation issue. I kind of went back and forth on even answering. We kind of talked about it before. And uh, I'm going to go like two different ways, right? So first thing, I I watched a movie. I grew up with a pastor who, who had movie analogies, and so they always worked for me. But I watched Moneyball this week, and there's a time where they share a baseball story. And Brad Pitt, Billy Bean, says, it's hard to be, how can you not be romantic about baseball? That's what he says. And... I don't know why it connected with me. When we sing God of Justice, it's like, how can you sing and lead that song and not agree with, I'm getting emotional. You know? <laughs> how can you not agree with that, right? It's hard to not, to be in this room or to be wherever. I looked at the camera, sorry. Um, <laughs> how can you be there and sing that song and, and not agree with that, right? Um, how does that, um, so but the question is, how, how has God helped you uh, hate and hurt less and love more? And one thing, and I still get caught in it, and I'll catch myself a lot, and this is just personally for me, but opinions don't mean anything. You know, whoever, what opinions people have on something, you can still love them. And that, that for me is the trap that I get caught in at times. Sometimes I'm really good at it, and I'll call people out on it. And then the other times I'm like, yeah, you're doing it. You're doing it yourself. So just what, you know, whatever someone believes or, or, or thinks about or, or how they vocally display it, it doesn't matter in the end, right? An opinion doesn't have to be hated, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing that I definitely work on for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Um, I did two main things. Um, I would say the example of my family and then the scriptures. Um, even just looking back with my mom's dad, my grandfather, um, there was just always... And I've thought about this. I, I don't know why he was like this. Um, he loved Jesus dearly, but he was just, there was a sense of equality about him. And um, and I, he fought in the war alongside people of color and worked alongside people of color. And so, um, but there was just always equality. So if it was guys that he had hired to help him out on his farm, we all sat at the table together. And... Um, there was no above or below or anything like that. So I feel thankful to have like seen that growing up. And then my mom and my stepdad, just the same way. They just love really well. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, or what you look like. They just love well. Um, and then I think Isaiah 11 um, just puts this with light of um, just Jesus and who he is, what he came to do, and just the seeming paradoxes that are going to match up. And that's the whole thing. I'm just trying to figure out, like, it says that when Jesus comes, this is what we can do. And so 
the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them the cow and the bear shall graze their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra I mean like it, we should be able to do this and I believe that like that always going back to the individual so I think seeing that example and then moving to Louisiana not that racism didn't exist in Paducah or even in my family or anything like that it was just, I saw it differently when I moved to Louisiana and so being taught this in our church and seeing that my job is to live this out to the best of my ability in my relationships and in my community has been very helpful to just spur me on to love more. That's good. Anybody, anybody else got any follow-up thoughts? Mm-hmm. The, I can uh, throw one real quick. Yeah. Um, just just receiving forgiveness from people that I've wronged, I feel like is a, yeah. it's like cutting away a layer of the way that you we want to react off of false narratives into judgment, into whatever you, you, you think about. And when you, you're constantly forgiven by somebody for something or you experience that, it just helps you to stop and think about what you're about to do or what you're about to say. And so I think just living that and receiving that, and um, that, yeah, that's been very helpful for me. Yeah. yeah. It's cool to hear all the different things God, you know, his different approach with it, with each of us and for me some of it was like uh, I went from an elementary school where there was there was one other there was one there was one black student his name was Arthur and uh, he had you know those rocks where like it's like a little and like over time a water drips on it and it pokes a hole through it uh, it's called like a friendship rock or something like that we would trade he would like we'd like swap it back and forth his name was Arthur if you're watching hey buddy uh then I went to a so he was only the, in all my whole grade there was one black student and I went to a middle school that was in the, the inner city that was probably seventy five to eighty percent black and that God used that like middle school to like be really formative for me in in regard to all this um, in high school we had a pastor that came and he he. Um, I remember there was like a buzz because everybody wanted him to come. And then he said, I'll, I'll come be the pastor, but you have to change your membership policy. Cause it was on, it was written in the constitution that it was a whites only congregation. And he said, if you, this has to change and then I'll come. And it was such a buzz in the church. And I got to admit it, it didn't, it didn't change the church, you know, uh, it didn't change the community. But as a ninth grader, I remember hearing everyone talking about it and it was huge for me. To hear, like, to hear someone take that stand was massive, um, and I think uh, mission trips, I think, have been a big part of it too. Like going into other cultures and like being immersed and and. But I think the biggest one has been just like growing up, you know, like maturing in, in Christ and engaging with the scriptures and the people of God and the mission of God, and and so um, all of those things. When I look back over the course of my life, like God has been chipping away at this for a long time. Um, it would be arrogant of me to feel like he's done with that. And, and I think that's a part of the conversation is, is rec- recognizing how deeply ingrained this, this can be. 
Um, and, and yet it is a part of my personal sanctification to keep going, you know, and as a pastor for us, for us to, as a church to be committed to this is really important. And, um, to just express that and, uh, to continually renew that this is an important thing. You know, we have this, we have this five year plan, which we're a year and a half into at this point, and we're making these inroads in the community. Um, but that is like, that is a, that is a part of the five-year plan is the racial reconciliation of connecting into this, into this community and those steps that we're taking with the school and the park and all these times, that is a part of what we're trying to do is trying to move this forward. But this, this inner, this inner work of God has to happen in us in order, in order for that to be an effective like thing for our church in the community. And so I think a lot of it is is just letting God use what, the whole point of it. Let God use what He wants to use, you know, to to refine this and to shape this and to give us His heart and His mind um, for for everyone. Um, it says verse four: They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts is spoken. Uh, it it is crushing to think that there are people who are afraid in our, in our world, that there are people who are afraid um, because of the color of, of their skin or their, you know, their ethnic background and all that stuff that, that there is that kind of fear in our world. And for us to be always like the, the reason that they're not afraid, no one should make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken is to say, God has spoken into this situation that you should not be afraid now, if we're living out a narrative that is contrary to that, then that's we got to fix that. Like, if we're going against the Lord, then that's a problem, and that's what we're trying to bring ourselves o- open to. But to live in a community and, and a world where where people are not afraid, and if if a part of that fear it, it comes down to ethnicity and race, then we got to take care of that. And there's all kinds of other things to be afraid of as well. We have to be aggressive about that because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Like He's He said. Do not fear, for I am with you. When you pass through the waters, they will not overcome you. You know, like the, like you're going to pass through the waters and it's going to be crazy, but they're not going to get the best of you. I've spoken it. You know, you're mine. And so, uh, and then verse five, for all the people walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. It's like you know what, like like. People are, people are going to do what, what they do in terms of all that stuff. But, but this is like an, a locking of the arms between the people of God. Saying we're, we're walking in His name forever. And there's always room for more to, to lock in. But that, that's, what, that's what we're going for. And there's nothing that's going to keep you uh, like from, from the Lord. We're, we will not create a barrier between you and the Lord because of what you look like, where you're from. Uh, if 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 you if you have stuff or if you don't have stuff, there's just there's none of those things are going to matter. But we that's a uh, as much as I, I wish we could just can't we just flip the switch? Well, no, it's it's more of a morphing, and God's beautiful in the sense that He works that way, slow, patient, um, and and He's the He's the Potter that's like forming forming this kind of reality. And so when we read these verses. This is not talking about heaven. This is, is talking about the the time from from Jesus and His resurrection forward, which is us right now. And so we can't look at this and say, "Man, it sure would be nice to live that way." 
He's saying, no, this is, this is you, you can live this way. This is who you really are. This is what I'm doing. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to, uh, we, we could talk forever about this, but um, I'm going to put a little bow on it for right now, and we're going to sing and kind of like, like kind of express a little bit this, uh, a little bit of this through song as we close things out this morning. But uh, it doesn't mean that this is over with. Doesn't mean like okay, well, fix that one. You know, see you next week, kind of thing. Uh, this is just is just we're just moving forward. We're not moving on. That's dismissive. We're moving forward uh, together and and with the Lord in this. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to sing and kind of let this process a little bit uh, for today, and then we'll uh, just continue continue on uh, off off camera a little bit. So let me pray for us. Um, God, what a what a beautiful vision for life you have laid out in the scriptures, and I just ask for help. Um, just I, I can be prideful on my own. We we don't need your help to be full of pride and arrogance, uh, but humility that's not something we can conjure up without your help. And so, would you help us to be humble and to be teachable? That regardless of our ethnicity, we we have a voice that needs to speak into this. And we all have various kinds of baggage uh, from growing up here. And uh, we just want to, we want to be open-handed with that. We want to be confessional. So like I said, will you just help us to be humble and to not... Uh, not default to the patterns of the world or our flesh or whatever it may be. Help us just to lean into what you're doing right now. Um, and may we may we bring these shortcomings, may we bring these patterns, may we bring these confessions to you, even our own apathy at times. Can we look at, at those verses in Micah when we say that I want you to form me into a person that lives that way. I want you to to form us into a church that that has that kind of presence in our community. We can't do it without you. And so as we sing a little bit and and close things out this morning, um, God, would you just just move and, and work among us that this would not be a wasted time, that this would not be that that this will be fruitful. We love you. We thank you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.